0: For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. friends and enemies heroes and villains welcome to epic realms today's guest is the owner and founder of both fate of the norns and the pendlehaven publishing he's written and developed multiple successful amazing kickstarters and done some amazing rpg books please welcome the one and only amazing andrew velkowskis to epic realms andrew how are you doing
1: Hey, I'm doing great, Nick. Great to have uh be back on your show again.
0: It's been it's it's been a while since we've chatted. It's you were in, you were basically in our first year of the show. Uh we had you on it was you and Ed and you came in talking about fate of the norns talking about the athclefs talking about the ultimate viking anthology. And uh you did you guys did so much stuff and that did really really well, but that was the last you were in the middle of the Kickstarter when you guys were on talking about it. And now some of that stuff's out. Tell us a little bit about how things have come along since the middle of that Kickstarter to now.
1: A lot of stuff has come out. So this was our, what, 12th or 13th Kickstarter. um, And it was the most ambitious one yet. Uh, So the Ultimate Viking Anthology was really the Ultimate Viking Anthology. It was nine books that we were kickstarting. And in those nine books, there was a box set, a city box set, uh, akin to anyone here listening that would, you know, play the old second edition, you know, Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk box sets you know, hearkening back to those days. Right. And uh, so we had three novels that came out uh, by Ed Greenwood, Michelle Franklin, and Stephen Pearl. Uh, For Stephen, it was his second book with us in the series. So uh, he's got a trilogy up his sleeve. Uh, so you can look forward to that. And we also released our very first graphic novels. Uh, so one of the really cool things that we've got in our genre, like with Pendelhaven, what we do is a lot of history and mythology. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some Icelandic sagas that are just absolutely brilliant. But unfortunately, some of the academic translations uh, lose a lot of readership. You know, it's like people uh, just can't, it can't hold their attention. So what we decided to do to, to, you know, really portray these amazing stories uh, to the biggest audience possible is to turn them into graphic novels. Uh, so one of them was Erbiga Saga, which is I think is my personal favorite from the Icelandic uh, corpus of, uh, of books. And uh, then we did a chapter from Egil Saga, which is uh, a very large saga. But we we took one of the most dramatic scenes and turned that into its own little 38 page graphic novel. Um, and then the rest of the book, the balance of those nine books, is the box set, ath Um and so for those who aren't familiar, Athleath is the uh, old name of Dublin. Uh, so our setting is during the 10th century of the Viking Age and during Ragnarok, uh, which we also call the Celtic Twilight in the the Celtic kingdoms. And um Athleath is caught in the crosswinds of many cultures that are descending upon it geographically at that time. Mm-hmm. So You've got the Christian Gales, you've got the pagan Celts, you've got the pagan Vikings, all you know, mishmashed into this one city, um, and the city is ruled by a king, a, a Viking king that does not have the manpower to uh, control all of Ireland. So um, he's basically got a seat of power with his puppets out in the wilderness uh, running the rest of the country for him. And so this box set is really a focus on city adventures. Um, and Ed was on the top of my list in terms of people to work with. And, uh, we've been on this project now for three and a half years, I think, or three years. I don't know. I lost track. All I know is that about a year and a half ago, I got an email from Ed that he said, Andrew, this is now the most detailed city I have ever worked on in my entire career. And I was just <laughs> Yes.
0: Yes. Well, when you're getting down to every individual building and the people's in them and their backstory, and this is what they like, and this is what they can be bribed with, and this is what they can be talked into, you know, all those little tiny details, uh, that's that's crazy. And it's pretty much unheard of, you know, in, in, even all time. Even when you look at, like, you know, Living Greyhawk and all that, this is, like, way more detailed than any of that ever was.
1: Yeah, he was telling me all the stories of, like, TSR was going, you have to stay in page count, you have to stay in word count. Uh, You know, we need templates for buildings. We can't have every building being unique. And so it was something he always wanted to do. Uh, It was a project like Athpath, but it was always publishers like hamstringing the project. And I was on the opposite side. I was like, no, no, we're going to make this the most detailed city because when I run cities, like, you know, you run out of, your your players are sometimes like shit disturbers, right? So (laughs) you'll be like, okay. I need you to go down this main thoroughfare to this bar to, you know, continue the plot line. And they're like, no, uh, this little alleyway you painted on the right hand side, we're going to go down this alleyway, go through the third door on the left. And then anyone we meet, we're going to ask them their name and what they do for a living. And you're just like, oh man, I can do this for like half an hour, an hour. I can't do this for three, four hours. Just right. keep pulling up names and, and jobs and businesses and so our goal with this project was to do all of the heavy lifting. So whoever the GM is, their only worry in the world is your storyline and the funny voices for all the denizens. We'll have all the names. We'll have all the demographics in the city where the poop goes, which is always a, a, a fun topic <laughs> to discuss on the panels. Um, but yeah, we, we've, we've spent three and a half years designing the city. And there's a Patreon that uh, is going to continue the design of the city for years to come. Um, so you don't have to, so basically we're going to do all that heavy lifting for you. So all you need to do was, Oh yeah, you want to go through that door on the alleyway? Give me one second, flip, flip, flip. All right. This is what you see. These are who you meet, you know, the people you meet, etc. cetera. Yeah. So yeah, that was the goal of this project. And we're almost done with this Kickstarter. So eight and a half of eight and a half books are released out of the nine. And the ninth book basically exploded into a, a mini line of, of products called Mimmer's manuals. Um, because we want to have really slimmed down versions of our products for a box set. And then when we thought about it, Mm -hmm. uh, we said this could be a a product line in itself. These little slimmed down books. Yeah, Um, because sometimes just someone comes by our booth at a convention and says, you know, I'm playing an ofednar in my group. You know, I I got the pregen from the website. You know, what books do I need to play? And we're like, okay, well, the ofednar is in this book and then there's these books and they're like okay that's a lot i just i'm a player you know I, I don't want to invest in everything i just need what i need to play and we're like okay now we're going to have those nice. and that's what members manuals are going to be
0: that makes it nice and easy for people especially for people cuz you know some people can't fork out you know 20 30 40 bucks for for an rpg book when they only want five pages out of that book like can i just yeah. borrow that book and copy them so i can whatever and now they don't have now they can support the product and get the you know Five or six pages that they need for what exactly what they want that's that's a really cool idea
1: well it's a little more than five to six uh the the archetype booklets are about 20 pages each
0: but Uh, not like 500.
1: (laughs) no 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 yeah but we give you like you know the history your options all your abilities and powers so it's also it streamlines your character creation process around the table because if you've got one of those old style you know big books like what we released and a lot of other publishers release and if you've got six players around the table and everyone's making characters at the same time. You've got that one book just hovering around, just going around and around and around. Someone's like, OK, I'm waiting on the book. I need the book. Right. And so if we've got these little numerous manuals that are all like, you know, 20, 30 pages and they're all like five, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, maybe for the, the most uh, in-depth ones. Uh, then all of a sudden, you know, people can just pick it up and they've got their own little booklet in their hand and away they go with everything they need for their archetype and to be able to play. So. That's kind of a byproduct of this whole box set for Athliath, where we needed slim down books. And now we're going to go into 2024 uh, with a whole line of slim down books.
0: That's awesome. And that's just like, after the fact, you're like, hey, this is a great idea. Let's do this. So it wasn't necessarily part of it, but now it's because of it.
1: I wish I could claim that I was the mastermind behind the whole thing. But no, that was just a, a hindsight thing of looking at them, going, wait a minute. On their own, these things can actually be very useful for yeah. a gaming table.
0: Yeah, for sure. And again, for people, you know, people at cons, because you go to a convention, you know, uh, you and I hung out and chatted a while at Gen Con a year year before last. And, you know, I only went to Gen Con with so much money. I couldn't buy all of the things. I couldn't support all of the everything. So when you get the option of being like, okay, well, I can't afford a 30, 40, whatever dollar book, but I can afford a $15 book. I can afford a $10 book. I can afford to, you know, pick up some you pick up a a little novel or a graphic novel or something those are infinitely better for the consumer to be able to go to a convention and be like hey uh, this is what i want this is what i want to spend so uh that's super awesome and your display by the way at these conventions i go in there every single time i see pictures online i'm there in person your display stands out amongst the crowd. You can walk by and see it and go, that is cool. Whatever that is, I gotta go see what it is. The art's Thank great, you. the colors are great, the look is great. Uh, who's who's behind that whole setup in your in your convention setup?
1: Um, so I, I'm the art director, I wear many hats, so I do a lot of stuff at the company, but also I, I go on the wild hunt once a year looking for artists uh, that are going to fit our aesthetic uh, because mm-hmm. I'm very, very picky in terms of what we do so we we get you know dozens if not you know uh, hundreds of art applications throughout the year from artists that want to work with us but we're very very you know on point when it comes to the branding of these old books to the point where i even piss off some our uh, printers where they're like everyone's going to glossy paper why the hell are you guys still on matte paper and i'm like no i want that old parchment feel you know i want those colors you know kind of saturated into the into the paper right. i want you to feel that the uh, you know our books are taking you back a thousand years. And so it really comes down to our artists that are, you know, the the superstars here that draw everyone into our booth. Because I do see that double take and triple take because people are like, what is this? You know, yeah, because a lot of people have
0: blinders on when on they the walk when they're at conventions. Like, yeah. I want to go to this and I don't see anything else.
1: Yeah. And then we get people just do like, what? What is that? and um yeah it's the art i mean uh we've got a lot of i think a half a dozen regular artists that we're working with and uh, every convention i sign like one extra artist um that really fits our our aesthetic and so that that's that's part of our brand is to make sure that all of our books come out like coffee table books we want to be able to you know some people have had non-gamers by Denizens of the North because they're just flipping through it and they're looking at the art and they're looking at all the stories and the history and the mythology and they're like, I want this. And I'm like, oh, you play RPGs. You probably need the core rule book first before Denizens of the North. They're like, no, I don't play. I I just love the art and I love the stories that you got in here. So I'll just take this book.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. When you're you're going to these conventions, how do you pick, how do you pick which conventions you're going to? And then what's the process? Because with a display like that, you know, there's got to be a thought like, okay, we need this many of this. This is where we store these. How do you haul it? How do you move it there? How do you set it up? How do you figure out who's doing what?
1: Um, so I'm, I'm blessed to have a convention crew that I've been with now for almost a decade. So we there's other exhibitors that almost look over at us and they're like, how do you guys not even like talk to each other on booth setup or teardown? And it's like, we've done this so much that everyone just knows exactly what to do as soon as we get there uh inventory count all of that um but we're lucky like to, one of your questions is how do we get our stuff there uh so we're lucky to be working with studio two uh who is uh, both publisher and a distributor and a warehouser, and um they ship our stuff for us at very uh economical rates because they're always shipping stuff so they've got really good rates uh so shout out to jim and, and eric and the crew there um and so when they show up to shows like gen con or PAX unplugged um, they just bring it our stuff on the truck and they just drop it off at our booth so i mean we couldn't ask for a more convenient way to set up our booths um ask your question on which conventions we choose uh it's different every year so uh during the covid like when we were talking before we started during the covid years we couldn't go to any conventions and It right. was very painful um so when 2022 opened up i was just like any convention that invites us I'm going to say yes to if there's no conflict and so we did 16 shows that year uh small conventions from you know a thousand maybe uh, attendees all the way to like fan expos and comic cons that are like 50 60 thousand uh, attendees yeah um and then this year my you know my health and uh everything else kind of restricted us to doing five or six shows I think this year um and then next year we're going to be going back up to like 10 or 12 shows. So that's, that's kind of the goal. So if any organizers are watching the stream, um, we're there for invitations. If you want to invite us to the show and we've never done your, your con before, we're open to trying it out.
0: Awesome. Awesome. You've got so many amazing people that have been on Epic realms that we've talked with and you have, you know, you mentioned a few people earlier, uh, obviously Michelle Franklin, amazing, amazing person great friend of the show at Greenwood. Yep. What can you say about some of these people that worked on your stuff? Do they have stuff coming out, more stuff coming up, things that they're producing?
1: Yeah, let's talk about Michelle. So Michelle released um, her second work with us, uh, even though a lot of people think it's her first work with us, with the Misadventures of Mindle. Uh, But actually, I hired her before that for Creatures from Fairy Tale and Myth. Uh, I was behind the eight ball. I had to, run a bun- I had to write a bunch of stories myself. And uh, I hired her on to basically write a bunch of short stories about creatures from fairy tale and myth. And uh, in that process, she's like, you know, like, how do you want this written? Do you want this from the, you know, this perspective or, you know? And, you know, we, we kind of spitballed this one character that I kind of mash up as a rinsewind from uh, Terry Pratchett mass- mixed with like a guru uh, from Marvel Comics where everything goes wrong, but everything's going great for him. So Mindel is just this one character that uh, shone through in Creatures fairy, from fairy tale and Myth. And so I asked her, you know, I'm sure you've got some other ideas. And she's absolutely. So that was the first novel, which was The Misadventures of Mindel. So if anyone likes this really funny novel uh, based in, in our world, this is the the humorous one that I would recommend first and foremost. And so her second one um, I just read while and uh, during hunting season in my blind. That was a very, very fun read. And it's at the editors now. So the editor's going through it. So you guys will be blessed with her second book very shortly. Um, Ed has been working on uh, his, well, his novel's done. He's been working on a sequel to the novel. Uh, but he and I are mostly consumed by producing the next deep dive book for uh, Athkliath. So uh, we're writing uh, there. Um, and then if we talk about Stephen, uh his book three is almost written as well uh he's he's putting on the final touch his first trilogy of the I think it's called the bastard prince and um so that one's that one's a lot of fun so his book two right now is um with a designer and a layout person for a saga because that's one of the things that we like to do is you know a lot of the novels are based on our universe right oh, actually all the novels are based on our right. universe. And then so we take the novels and we try to turn them into adventures uh, that you can play at your tabletop. So you can either read the novel first and then play the adventure, or play the adventure, then read the novel. Um, And I really enjoyed the fact of how much the novels brought to different RPG worlds throughout the many decades of me enjoying RPGs like. Uh, The funny tale I always tell with Ed on a panel together is how I was resistant to go to Forgotten Realms. I was so invested in Greyhawk with first edition, second edition, had all this stuff. And they're like, oh, this new Forgotten Realms world. And I'm like, no, I'm not buying into another world. Uh, I'm happy with my Greyhawk. Leave me alone. And then all these novels started coming out for Forgotten Realms. And I started reading the novels. And I was like, son of a bitch. Okay, fine. (laughs) You got me. All right. I'm getting the Forgotten Realms stuff. Um, so there there is that other level of you know fourth dimension that the, the authors will bring to these RPG characters, these denizens, these places, these story arcs that an RPG book cannot go into that depth. Yeah. And so I, I see that value. So we're gonna keep investing in in a, a line of novels for the Fate of the Norns universe.
0: That's awesome. How do you balance, you know, whether you're whether you're doing the novels, or whether you're building a world RPG, how do you balance historical fact and fiction uh, because you know you can't you you can't always have both you know and i know i've I've talked with a few people about this that sometimes dates don't line up or this person is in charge when really they were in charge at a different time or you know whatever that is how do you work with balancing that out running running a game like that
1: um so let's look at uh, Athleath for example so you've got King, king citric um who's supposed to die in 927. And our our setting, I basically told everyone who worked on the project, we're working around nine thirty AD. And they're like, Oh, shouldn't he be dead? And I'm like, No, he's way too cool a character to be dead. There's way too many story arcs that are gonna come out of what he's done to Ireland and um you know, all his little shenanigans that go on in the royal courts where he tries to to marry ethels um yeah, King Ethelston's daughter uh and have a truce between the Christian kingdoms and the Vikings. There's there's so many cool stories to be told uh, that he's going to stick around uh, for a little bit and we'll see what happens afterwards. So uh, while we stick in history, we're not going to have history dictate the games. The games have to be the most entertaining, the most playable. Uh, You know, if a GM picks up a Norse mythology based RPG, they can't say, oh, and there are all these contradictions and all of these, you know, omitted manuscripts that are lost to time that we can't tell you about the whole world no a, a gm wants to know everything there is to know about that world that they're going to be running and so we have to fill in all of the gaps uh, because manuscripts have disappeared over the centuries uh, the contradictions we have to decide which one of the stories is canon in our universe and then right. which ones you know you could utilize as alternate um alternate canon and that was one of the toughest parts when I was doing my translation and writing of the illuminated Etta. Um, I had so many manuscripts that were missing so many contradictions um, that even when I was looking at um, academic like professors that were doing their own translations, I was finding a lot of things that um, I I could actually improve on. And so one of the sensibilities as a gamer that I took extreme offense to was the fact that they were conflating things like trolls, ogres, giants, there were the same term in Old Norse for these academics. And I was like, no, as a gamer, I'm, I'm completely against this. We are going to definitely straighten these lanes out and, you know, call a monster by its actual term. Yeah, And so th- that was one of the things that I would say was a little bit more accurate than the academics. But um, my entire goal was not to do an acad- academic right. translation. It was to do the translation and then rewrite it in like a modern prose that flows that, you uh, is going to be more accessible to your average gamer. So they can use this as um, source material, or if someone just loves mythology, that it's like an accessible version, uh, kind of like Neil Gaiman's uh, reinterpretations of some of the uh, edict stories.
0: Yeah. Which is awesome. And I really wanted to get that because that's, I know we have a bunch of people that are, you know, they're, they really, they're really into the Vikings. They're really into North pay um, Norse paganism. They're into, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I was like, some people are big historian type people, but they're also role players. And yeah. so I know for a fact that some of them will pick up one of these books and be like, and they'll see that and they'll be like, wait a second, hold on. Um, and I figured you saying it is better than me trying to tell them on the phone or in a chat or whatever. And saying that, you know, listen, this is the take. Now they can hear it from, from your mouth, uh, your opinion and the reason why. Uh, things were the way they were and because i think that's important to people who pick up your book because a yeah, lot of people are really into that kind of stuff
1: it, it surprises a lot of players that do flip through our books uh they're flipping through and they're like oh i don't see any horns on the helmets for these vikings and i'm like yeah there's a reason for that um and some people go to like you know the back of the core book and they'll look at like a map of atloy and sodoy which are like part of eagle saga And they'll pull up their phone to try and see, oh, you know, they completely make up these land masses. And it's like they go on Google Maps and they're like, son of a bitch, this guy's got the contours of the islands perfectly. (laughs) So we kind of pride ourselves on our our geeking out and nerding out on this stuff. Uh, That's one of the things that we talk about in a lot of our panels. So I do like Vikings and pop culture and I do like world building and, and game design and, you know, People will be astonished at just how much we talk about and go back to the poop story of where does the poop go in Athaliath. And we have to think about it because there are no sewers. You, if you dig down in, you know, ancient Dublin there next to the Liffey, you're getting your basement flooded. Uh, there are no sewers. So that's one of the tropes that we ended up breaking where a lot of people are like, oh, we need to break into the palace. Oh, we're going to go through the sewers. And we're like, uh, there are no sewers. Think again. And so uh, it, it's it's really interesting on on where some of the things in history and mythology are stranger and you know wilder, and it's going to take you out of your comfort zone a lot more than your high fantasy.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So speaking of pop culture and things like that, you talked about doing these panels. How do you think pop culture in the last couple of years? I mean, we've got you know almost every Renaissance festival in. The you know the North America now has a Viking trooper, a Viking group. You've got the Vikings TV show. You've got video games such as Valheim, Assassin's Creed. You know mainstream games that are super popular, millions of sometimes even billions of downloads or or, or purchases. You have even got the WWE has Vikings as characters on there. How does stuff like how does stuff like that do you think affect your company and and fate of the Norns?
1: Oh, uh, it, it's been a really positive uh, response because, I mean, one of the funny anecdotes is we were at uh, Fan Expo Calgary and this one guy completely dressed up fully in Viking garb and, you know, fully, you know, the face with the woe and everything shows up to our booth. Said, Wait, what? And Edda. And he starts flipping through. and he said, Oh, my God, this is gorgeous. You know, with the artwork and everything. And he's like, I got to pick this up. And I'm like, hold on. Let me take a picture of you. Like, what's your story? Like, what's your get up for? And he's like, oh, I'm part of the Sons of Fenrir. We're like a reenactment group out of like BC. And there's a whole bunch of us downstairs. And so, you know, uh, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to have to go check you guys out once the hall closes. And, uh, you know, he leaves with the Etta. And the next thing I know is just there's a constant stream of these Vikings fully dressed up, just going straight to our booth, straight to our booth. And it's just the Etta pile just went just disappeared completely within like one afternoon. And it it was wonderful. Like, you know, it's just meeting all these people that are super passionate about the subject. That, that's one of the things that I really, really enjoy. Like we get a lot of people to come by the booth and they're like, you know, uh, you know, I loved your panel on, you know, Norse mythology. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about Freya? And, you know, you know, I can I can talk, you know, for hours about the subject. I love mythology, like everything behind me. And it goes on for like an entire wall here. Is mythology books from, you know, Norse to Mesoamerican to Celtic to uh, Japanese, you know, you name it. I love it. So I can I can just talk for, for hours. And I know you've got a, a question that you wanted to the load for for the season, uh, which I you, think I'll be ready for.
0: You're, you're going to be ready for <laughs> oh, it? Well, let's yeah, do it please. right now. Let's do it right now. Let's get it. Let's get it out of the way. Let's get it let's out get of it my system. Out of the system. Of the okay, system. Is Odin Santa Claus? And why or why not?
1: So I had to give this one a little bit of thought when you said uh, I'm going to ambush, ambush you with this question. Um, so Odin um, definitely has some um, relation to Yule uh, because he one of the things that's really known about uh, Odin is he was the god of a thousand names. Wherever he traveled, he would travel with a different name. And one of his many names is Yolnir. And uh, so the etymology is straight back to Yule. Um, but I'm going to let your, your viewers decide if he is a direct inspiration for Santa Claus by talking about the customs of Viking myths during the Yule season. So, um, there were definitely, uh, several days of the Yule season. So the debates are, you know, depending on where you were in, uh, Europe, whether you were in Scandinavia or in Germany or in the British Isles, it was three to 12 days. And during this period. Uh, You'd get family and friends over to your house and you'd want them to get there before sundown because the wild hunt was afoot. So the Yule period was the period where the barrier between worlds was the thinnest. And so this would be the period where Odin and uh, his Valkyries, his Einherjar would ride and and look for the souls of the dead. And that would be the wild hunt. And so if you were to actually encounter Odin, uh, you you were in deep doo-doo. let's put it that way. I don't I don't know what your PG rating or your rating <laughs> so is. I'm, I'm censoring my my language for the stream. But um you'd be in big trouble. And so there were there were sagas, uh Norwegian sagas that would talk about um you know someone caught out at night getting lost going to their their neighbor's house and you know they they'd be found dead the next morning because they were hagridden. Uh the, their entire body was just completely you know shredded up by by a hag. And so there 'd be all kinds of like uh dangerous stories uh, about the Yule time season but it also was a period of celebration and the ushering of the new year so Yule and the new year were um almost the same for for a vast period of time they, they didn't really get separated until you know probably the last 300 400 years uh in terms of these seasons because uh Christianity was stating that you know the birth of Jesus was something that was mutable. Uh, you know, some people are saying yeah. it was in January, but they said, you know, it was with um, Hack on the Good, um, where he said, you know what, we're going to piggyback on the 25th of December uh, for the season. And so we can actually have, you know, a unification of beliefs and, and you know, some cohesion in our society. And in that period, uh, you'd have all kinds of really interesting um uh, practices where you'd have things like where you'd swear on a boar what your accomplishments would be the next year. Okay, and so not just Odin, the the boar would be referencing um, another very important god, Frey, uh, because Frey's chariot was pulled pulled by goats. And, yeah, right, not right. goats, boar. Sorry. Right, right, right. Um, and so everyone would put their hand on a boar and they would state, you know, what their accomplishments would be for next year. They would boast, you know, in terms of, I would, I'm going to marry so-and-so, or I will conquer, you know, such and such region. And this was also a period of reflection with your family. Um, And so there would be places set aside where the spirits of the dead would come and sit down at the table and they would partake in the Yule meal with you. And a lot of times it would be when you're asleep. So it was custom to actually leave the table out full overnight. You wouldn't like put the food away or, or put yeah, it into like cold storage, things milk. like that. Um, and so there, there was all those things that, you know, Odin um, and the Yule period from the Vikings um, gave to us is traditions moving forward. So some of those that I just mentioned, uh, my grandmother uh, kept uh, when I was a young kid. So I'm Lithuanian and we would have kuchas, which is like, uh, christmas eve dinner and christmas eve dinner would be uh, 12 dishes um and so the 12 dishes i think might have some symbol uh, symbolism with not only the 12 apostles but also those 12 days of yule um and she would say they would put hay uh, straw underneath the tablecloth where they would be pulling out um uh what are they called uh, you know the sprigs of 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 hay and whoever had the longest one uh would get their wish granted and then we'd also have, we'd also set aside one plate, one seat at the table uh, for uh, those that passed away in our family. And so this tradition, you know, that we're talking about, that was like a thousand, thousand, years ago, was carried on till like the 80s, 90s and, and so on, uh, which is really, really interesting. Um and then, you know, I can go into the, the Celtic ramifications of uh, or inspirations, not ramifications uh, for for Christmas, because that's another one, big one of our settings, uh, one of our big settings, not just Vikings. But right the, there's uh, Bera, which is the goddess of winter. Um, and so there's a whole story of her um, being jealous of Angus trying to marry her daughter. And so he was the Lord of summer. Uh, so you'd have summer and winter, you know the seasons battling each out in terms of who would get the upper hand. And so she ended up asking her daughter just so she wouldn't get, uh, you know, out of the house and and you know meeting up with Angus. She goes, you know, can you wash this brown cloth and make sure it's white? But it was stained brown with dye, so it was like an impossible mission for her. And then you know Father Christmas shows up, uh, or Father Winter, and shows up and puts snow on top of the the cloth and turns it white, and so. She can actually fulfill her quest, and so there's so many I guess tales father from mythologies
0: yeah, I exactly see what you're doing
1: there, yeah, father winter, Father Christmas, Saint Nick, which is from uh Netherlands uh, even Santa Claus I think is is short for Saint Nick um in, in old English, I believe uh but I mean there's so many different stories and mythologies that add up to what we celebrate today uh, in these days that, um, you know, we can go on. We can do several episodes. Uh, right, right. Basically. <laughs> but, uh, based, so the based long on story
0: is short is, audience, you get to decide, do your research, exactly. look up and make your own decision <laughs> <laughs> because Andrew doesn't want to commit to one one direct answer. <laughs> Well, it's,
1: it's yeah, it, it's 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 not clear cut. It, it's definitely if Odin had um, some influence, it was derivative. It, he became someone else, someone else became someone else, someone else became someone else, and then we've got Santa that Coca-Cola ended up marketing.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they did that whole thing. I used to work for Coca-Cola, and they're like, we invented Santa Claus. And I'm like, not really. You, you created the modern imagery of what modern Santa is. But other than that, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you've got all kinds of products. You you mentioned to me you don't even know what sleep is. Actually, it was me saying you need to sleep, and you're like, what's that? (laughs) What's a day off? don't even know what that is. got all kinds of stuff. You've got a new Kickstarter coming up. Yep. What can you tell us about that? Do you know when you're doing it?
1: Um, So as soon as our last Kickstarter is done. So one of our philosophies at our company is we do not launch a Kickstarter until the previous one is done. Okay. And the last one was a beast, and so we're almost done. As soon as that one's done, uh, we will be putting up the page for the next one. Okay. And uh, throughout the year, I basically was asking everyone that was coming by the booths at our conventions in terms of, you know, you probably have heard us talk about all the projects that we have in our pipeline and which ones are you the most excited about. And what came out by, you know, uh, Pax Unplugged was uh, the board game. People just keep asking us about a board game, The Chronicle of Kings. And this has been in the works for a very long time. Uh, I'd like to say six, seven years. This board game has been in the works. It's a it's a big box board game. Um, we're going to try to fit in the smallest box possible because as a publisher, uh, when I look at Madara, it, my heart hurts because it's like a 22 <laughs> pound box of, of board games. And I just think of the logistics of shipping it and the costs. And oh, my God. So. We're going to try to distill a big box board game in the smallest possible footprint, pos- uh, you know, available to us. Um, and it is a game where you play a lineage of Viking nobles or Celtic nobles or, you know, uh, you know, nobles from the uh, Holy Roman Empire. So it's the 10th century still like our, our setting. And your goal is to be the family with the most renown after a, a certain amount of time has gone by. So you set the finish line for your your board game. We don't tell you how long your game should be. You you can draw the line in the sand in terms of when it ends and um to get renown it's a 6x board game so there are six different paths to gain renown and so every player could be playing like you know someone says, i want to be you know the, the the baron that's going to be you know doing all the mar- merchant movements uh, across the map and you're going to have to buy from me and i will be you know the richest one okay so that's a great way to get renowned. there's another one could be through conquest um but internally we we joke that this The code name for this board game is Viking Kardashians, because the more drama (laughs) that surrounds your family, the better you do. (laughs) So the last thing you want to do is think of this game as like Risk, where you hide in Australia and you turtle. You want to be like, if you're the first one to drop your tokens down to pick spots on the map, you want to go right in the center. Because anything that's happening to you, whether it's good or bad, that drama is going to give you renown.
0: Okay, nice. What was the inspiration for this game? Like, where, where, who sat down with you? Who did, did you come up with it? Was it a group of thing? where you having a couple of drinks at a table and go, you know, it would be a cool idea. Like, how did this come about?
1: I think someone said, I wish there was a, a, a Vikings uh, Twilight Imperium. Okay. And, you know, I I didn't want a 13-hour board game, um, but I, I liked the sound of that. I said, you know what? It'd be really cool to have something of a grand epic scope where you are working through not only like one generation of nobles. So every single time all your actions are done at the table, the timeline fast forwards fifteen years. So you oh. put age markers on all of your nobles, so you you see the writing on the wall that oh boy these guys are gonna die, and so either of old age of violence on the map, whatever happens, uh, there'll be assassins sent by other players and things like that. And so uh, you need to plan what are your successions? Like who is going to be your, your firstborn? Who are they going to marry? Who's going to take over the throne? How is this going to get managed? And so we wanted this of epic scale, but without the little minutia. We, we the last thing we want to do is a game that takes you an hour to set up. So uh, that's one of my pet peeves. Like when I look at my board game shelf, I'm like, oh, I really want to play this game. And then I look at the box and like oh. sigh my shoulders drop and just like, oh, man, that's like a 35 minute setup of that board game. Yeah, I'm like, let's play something else. Yeah, and so that's the last thing I want to do is I want this big box board game feel with very quick, like you know, setup time, tear down time, and teaching time. Because I'm also very selfish. I'm going to have to teach this game ten thousand times right. at different conventions, and I want this to be the easiest game to teach. And so the last year has been really like refining, polishing the rules on how we can get people playing as quickly as possible uh, and then to learn the rest of while they play
0: yeah that's always a thing for me i always tell my wife i was like if i sit down and people are learning a new game call me after you've read the rules don't start reading the rules when you have everybody sitting there waiting to play the game like i no no learn the game then invite me when you know how to play or i'll sit down and you know if it's a game i'm really interested i'll sit down and read the rules i'll put all the pieces out i'll move all the stuff and try and figure it out by myself and then I'll invite people in and then we can figure out if I got stuff wrong.
1: Oh, wait, Nick, you're not coming over and we're watching a YouTube video right before we play on how to play this game?
0: No, no, no. <laughs> I want to I want to learn. I learn better from people yep. explaining it to me in person. I mean, I might watch a video like if it's a video of you explaining how to play the game to other people, then maybe I'll watch it. That, that, that That's a lot easier. Uh Maybe we'll do it and do an in-person uh, live live thing. I'll just
1: oh for sure. If we cross paths in 2024, we will have the board game with us at every show. We had it at every show this year, and this year we also had one copy of uh, the original Fate of the Norns uh, book as well because we turned 30 years old this year. That's awesome. This was a, a really big year for us, and it was kind of sad that we only did so many shows uh, because of other mitigating factors. But uh, yeah, it's the 30th anniversary, and so. Um, you know we had the board game and we had one copy of this print book that we released in 2012 uh that we um stamped numbered and signed every single copy um and so right now this is like a collector's item so whoever's a completionist out there that's looking for uh the book it's not on our online store it's not um on drive through rpg it's nowhere uh you need to see us in person to get a copy of this book
0: awesome that's
1: great very limited and it'll amount. be a hundred
0: million dollars just kidding just <laughs> kidding <laughs> If they believe me then that's then there's there's problem in the world if they believe me that now
1: <laughs> Well we've we've sold two Thor's hammers that we created um, over the last decade of, of conventions um, A buddy of mine Alex uh, he ended up creating a Mjolnir. A uh, hundred and twenty pound Mjolnir from like a solid block of steel. There's a video actually on our YouTube channel. You can see like the welders and the and the, the metalsmiths actually working on this thing. That's awesome. Uh, we engraved runes on all the sides and we'd bring this to shows and we would have this competition that would say, if you can lift Mjolnir over your head one handed, you get a free book, whatever book you want. And we get all these like, you know, gym guys coming by. They're fully buff. And they're like, how, how heavy's the hammer? We're like 120 pounds. And they're like, oh, I benched like 300. And so they grab the hammer. And because the haft was only this long, yep, yep. the head is like massive. <laughs> they couldn't get it past their waist. It, 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 it's like they're turning red. They're like, there's no way this is 120 pounds. We're like, yeah, it is. But it's just not balanced.
0: It's all in one spot. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. And so. I've only had two people in the history of the company that could lift Mjolnir over their head one-handed. And their their look was like dad bots. They just looked like regular guys. Yeah. Like nothing special. And I'd see the, from the corner of my eye. I'm just like, and I see the guy lift it. I'm like, do that again. The guy lifts it up. I'm like, what the hell do you do? It was, I'm a farmer. He oh, was, you know, yeah. I'm constantly moving like weird, you know, shaped heavy stuff. And It was like, no problem. And then the second guy was part of uh, the Canadian Artillery Forces. So, like, he's constantly moving shells and stuff like that, you know, for big howitzers. (laughs) And so, you know, all arm strength and wrist strength. So, yeah, it was was funny. And we had to retire it after two people bought the hammer. Uh, So, we sold both hammers. Um, And we had a near-death experience with this little kid that comes by. And he's like, okay, so what's the deal? I can lift the hammer over my head and I get a free book? We're like, yeah. And he goes. Um, he's got these little pipe cleaner arms, and he's like, "Do I have to be standing up to do it?" And we're like, mm, "No, that's a weird question." And he goes, proceeds to lie down with his head under this two by four stand that we built, the super robust stand for this hammer. And he reaches up and he starts dragging the hammer off of the stand. Oh and no! The stand starts tilting, and all of us are like, "Is this really happening?" We just jump at the last second to grab the hammer before it like flattened his head. And we're like, we're not doing this anymore. We're done.
0: Wow. Yeah. Or maybe just keep it on the ground and not. <laughs> not on it. A... Wow. Well, I'm glad nobody got hurt. Holy cow. Yeah. I was Living surprised there. that nobody trying to lift it like hurt themselves or pulled something or tore trying to lift that dang thing up.
1: We're lucky. Yeah. There were no litigious fans that came by. Uh, <laughs> there were no. There were no lawsuits. I think there were a couple of sprained wrists or sprained shoulders, but uh, I wouldn't have, was have even tried it. about it.
0: I wouldn't have even tried it. Nope. All right, so you've got all kinds of stuff. We're 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 we're, we, we're chatty. We're good at chatting. We might we might go a little long on this episode. Uh, yeah, tell no us worries. a little bit about Germania.
1: Oh yeah, Germania. So um, so, see, I was going to talk about Nick when we were talking about all the authors. When I was talking about Michelle, Steve, and Ed, um, so Nick is an author that I partnered with to do Germania, which is a prequel setting to our Fate of the North setting. So instead of being set in the 10th century, it is actually set in the um, in first century, so 15 AD to be specific. And um, it is the Roman Empire with the Germanic tribes clawing at the gates. Okay. Um, and so what we've been working on for the last year, two years, um, is a, a sister books, two sister books um, that would be two independent RPGs. So one of them, you can play the Germanic tribes and you get to play archetypes that are Germanic tribes. You get to worship, you know, uh, Nerthus and uh, all the Mm -hmm. proto Germanic deities. And you've got everything that's written in, um, um, old Germanic or old Norse. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one of our challenges right now that we're going through is we're reaching out to all kinds of linguists that could help us reconstruct what the names of any of these tribes could be in old Germanic or, or old Norse, because, the only written um, texts that we have to go on are Roman, and that's everything in Latin, right? And so right. to get immersion for that book, we don't want to have Latin names for all the tribes, all the locations. And then so the other sister book, which you probably guessed from what I've said so far, is is now the Roman Empire. So you can actually play Roman legionnaires and centurions and right. those guys that are going out into the boundaries of the empire. Um, to try and bring civilization to the barbarians. And, uh, you know, you're going to have all the gods like Pluto and Saturn and, and all of those uh, in those in those books. And we're going to be looking at different art styles for both. So I'm actually uh, in discussion with several artists that could potentially nail a very like proto-Germanic, you know, wild natural look to a very refined mosaic marble sculpture Roman book. Um, so definitely, the look and feel for both books is going to be very, very different. It's going to be based on those cultures, but both of those RPGs put together is going to be that prequel setting.
0: Okay, cool. And what about the the? There is two card games you also mentioned to me. You want to tell us about That's those right. two card games because those are those both sound right up my alley.
1: <laughs> All right, so we'll talk about the one that uh, has been in the works for quite some time. Okay, and um, we're trying to slot it into a Kickstarter is um, the working title is ragnar shots um it's a drinking
0: <laughs> <card game>. yes
1: <laughs> and so you're playing valkyries that are trying to get the souls of the most valiant uh fallen warriors to valhalla and the other players are you're, you're trying to throw hurdles in front of them so they're just picking up duds in terms of warriors off the battlefield where you're trying to get the best warriors um, and so there's a lot of humor in there. There's like Loki's trick cards that can go in there. as a perfect drinking game. Like it's it's a game that we want you to be able to play in a bar. You don't need to play this at you know your gamer table setting. Right. You can just stick this in your purse in your back pocket and bring this to any drinking event and and have a good time with really simple rules. um The other game is very very different. It is Vigrid, and this has also been in the works for a good five years. Uh, five years. This is rccg uh collectible card game and so it is set in the final chapter of ragnarok so this is where the gods and the giants all descend on the plane of vigrid to have their final battle and so uh if you anyone here plays magic it's kind of like commander where you've got like a central god or jotun or or a, a central figure that you're building out your army with and all the cards are hexagonal um so every card has six states and so there'll be you know, events in the card game that will tell you, like, if the, the character takes two damage, you, you take them two two slots. So if you ever played Maid Knight or Hero Clicks, it's kind of like that dial at the bottom okay, of the okay. figurines, but it's it's in card format. And so you play on a hexagonal grid, like a honeycomb grid. Uh, so everyone gets a play mat with a honeycomb grid. And so your champion goes right in the middle. Your your units go around the sides and then relics lands and everything else. Enchantments go around the outer outer rim. Um and it is a game that is asymmetrical and you bi- deck building, you build your own decks. Um, but it also has um two innovations which you know I've I've been a long time Magic player since like '93, since right. I think the first Gen Con appearance uh with Magic. And the two things that I couldn't stand about the game was one, the mana curve. So if you're mana flooded or mana short, it's like you're like, why are we even playing this game? Like it's a blowout, you know, yeah, like yeah. we're wasting time. Let's reshuffle and play again. And so the resource management is very controlled. So um, you get, as a player, you can either choose resource cards or your actual, like, playing cards. Uh, At the start of your turn, you get to draw two things. You choose which two things you want to draw. Um, So that kind of fixes that issue. And the other one is I'm always a big proponent of, like, multiplayer games. I love games where it's just not one-on-one or not solo, but you've got, like, five, six players at the table. And with games like Commander... If someone dies in the first 10 minutes of a commander game, those can go for like an hour and a half. And so what's the poor schlep supposed to do? Like sit around, wait for the game to end. So the game design of Vigrid is everyone plays until their victory condition. So there's no elimination. It's until somebody wins. Okay. Uh, so you've got quests uh, that are open resources that you're going to put two quests that are going to rotate. And every time you hit one of those objectives, the card's going to rotate. So you can see how close every player is to their win condition. And so you can try to like, you know, throw hurdles in front of them and things like that. Um, and then I guess there's a third innovation that we put in there was a single player mode. So you get to play against Hell or Nidhogg, like one of those iconic big bad characters from our universe. Right. And you can build a deck and work against this AI deck, which is really hard to beat. And so you get little bragging rights if you can beat, you know, Hell at tier one or tier two um, and things like that. So and you can even bring Hell or Nidhogg is a. I guess, an AI player at, at your multiplayer table as well. So you can have like a one-on-one, but also throw in the the single-player mode uh, character and playmat into the game. So it kind of mixes things up for the players. So it's it's got some nice, um, I, I think, innovations in the space that haven't been done yet. And um, the one thing that we're kind of waiting on is I want to release this as an analog game. So the card game, which is already done but also the video game, the, the version that's going to be played on phones, on PCs, on consoles. And that's been in the works for the last year with um, a lot of a lot of like hiccups. Um, so that that's the reason it's not the next Kickstarter. Because there's still yeah. some uh, some work to be done on the on the digital side. But I would really like to release this in both digital and analog format.
0: Do you plan to build it coming out as like, you know, if this is your starter deck and then you go and buy like booster packs and stuff like that to, to throw in there?
1: Yep. So I've got a lot of friends that really like LCGs, like fan of, uh, fantasy flight games, like the the Arkham Horror uh, card game and things like that. So the LCG for, um, format is we're going to release a, a box with all of the pre-made decks that we've been testing for years in there. So you can just have a, a well-balanced experience where everyone just grabs a deck and, and plays from that box. You don't need anything more. You're, you're done. But we're also going to be releasing a booster box series. So you've got 120 cards in the main set. You're going to have additional cards, I think 80 cards in the expansion, uh, which is going to be in the booster boxes. And that's for like a draft experience, or if someone just gets the dopamine hits of cracking booster box uh booster packs and things like that. Um, so we wanna hit um both both types of players. So you can end up having you know your experience of like I just want to dish out like 60 bucks for six decks. And I'm done.
0: And have people or, over you know, and can just play out of that box. Yeah. yeah.
1: And if I want to expand my experience with the extra 80 or 120 cards uh, in the the booster packs, yeah, I can do that as well and add that into my decks and customize my decks. So yeah, both experiences is what we're aiming for.
0: That's awesome. What about planning for future future expansions, if you will? Do you have certain things like here's a symbol on the cards and we'll get to that maybe in a future expansion so that when you come up with that or when you release that, it'll be backtracked? Or will it just be like, nope, the other stuff just doesn't have these new features that we have in the new expansions. Because I always see that in games. People won't plan ahead and then they have to go back and retro do all the other ones to fit in with whatever. They have like side parts that are separate that you can then add in that they have to rebuild. You know, what is your plan for that?
1: So a quick shout out to my friend Asad who ran um, a Genesis card game uh, until last year. Uh, he's been a really good mentor in terms of the space because he's been doing his uh, collectible card game for four years, I think, since 2018, something like that. And he he learned a lot uh, through uh, the um, the release of several expansions for his game. And one of the things he he was telling me was, you really need to have several expansions in your back pocket because if you get a snowball like hit, like where this thing starts snowballing and becomes. A massive success, like you know, a Pokemon Go or something like that, where everyone just goes completely bananas for it. The next thing you know is three months from now, they're going to say, "Where is the expansion? Like, wh- what's the next set?" And they're going to be used to this programming by uh, WotC uh, for Magic, which used to be three sets per year. Now it's like fifteen sets per yeah, year. Yeah, it's
0: ridiculous. But it's when yeah, I, that's when I stopped playing. <laughs> that's when I stopped playing Magic.
1: <laughs> Good call. Um, so I already have one expansion done. And I'm working on the second expansion. And so, if things do start snowballing, we're not caught in a situation where we're behind the eight ball. And, you know, the first set is so well thought out. It's been test played for six years. But the next one was all designed and produced in three months. Okay. Um, So, we definitely are going to have several expansions in our back pockets that have been tested for years that we can release, you know. uh, So, so you have a plan just in case. Yeah. That
0: was always something you can always tell a game when they do something and then it starts doing well and they're like, they come up with a whole new mechanic, but the new mechanic isn't in the old stuff. It's like, well, I got to redo it all. So yeah. I was always, always curious about that, and I'm excited that you guys had planned for that. I myself even have built a uh, a little card game as well that's sitting oh, yeah? in my back pocket. So I'm gonna oh. maybe tell you about that. After the, tell me about it after the show we'll do it in the we'll do it in the post pod Q&A session we'll do it we'll do sure. it there uh, speaking of which anybody who's in any of the live streams feel free to drop your questions for Andrew or comments as well uh, if you'd like to ask questions of whatever whether it's uh, for Fate of the Norns some of the upcoming projects whether you just want to talk uh, uh, Norse mythology or any mythology feel free to drop your comments or questions in the chats and we'll get to them as soon as we can uh andrew you you've got all kinds of events coming up uh you you know a couple of years ago you were everywhere you mentioned that you're planning on really kicking off the the season what can uh, what can people think and expect to get from you in the following year where are you going to be are You going to be doing any other shows conventions signing stuff like that what do you got planned so far
1: so January is pretty relaxed. Uh, February, um, I'm Canadian. So, you know, if we can go to a tropical destination, we're all for it in February. <laughs> and so uh, we applied for Megacon in Orlando, Florida. We haven't heard back from them. I think they're full. So we're on a waiting list. Um, so that would be something that we'd just love to go to just as a vacation con uh, where we can sit in, you know the beach and enjoy some sun and, and vitamin D um it, our dark winters up here um and then the other place that we are already slotted in for is genghis khan in denver colorado um so that i'm lo- really looking forward to uh we've got our really good friends at archon games that'll be uh hosting us there Uh are probably going to go hiking in the rockies that's one of my favorite pastimes going hiking in, in very tall mountains the taller the better uh which is the chagrin to my crew which is like no we're not going with you no you're on your own. <laughs> um so that that I'm really looking forward to um uh, March we have a double header uh so unfortunately uh Pax East and Garycon are falling on the same weekend, and so we're gonna split the team and we're gonna have half the team going to Garycon half the team going to pax uh east um and so we're gonna be hitting both of those shows uh in March and then April and onwards um I don't have lists in my head, but uh, it's, it's going to be a pretty aggressive one. Oh, we're also hitting Gamma for the very first time. Okay. So a lot of people in my industry, uh, other fellow publishers, are like, you've been doing this for 10 years and you haven't gone to Gamma? You guys are totally overdue. You <laughs> have to go there. Apparently, this is the show where all the retailers and distributors go to as attendees, and it's the publishers that are like at the booths. So, I have to do that next year as well. So we're going to be doing that. That's in Louisville, Kentucky in March, I believe. Start of March. Um, So already, like in two months, we've got like, I think, five conventions uh, slotted. Uh, So it's going to be a very busy schedule next year. So I look forward to seeing a lot of the fans. I look forward to seeing you on on this convention circuit. And we can share in some good mead and ale.
0: That's right. Mm, I love me some mead. I love me some mead. One of my friends, he he makes, uh, he's been making mead on his own and He's got a little stash of little tiny vials for me to try. So
1: this is my little poison for tonight. This is my favorite Irish whiskey.
0: Oh, nice!
1: Can anyone phonetically? Uh, I don't know if I can get this. Read this.
0: I phonetically, I'm horrible. But tea bag. What, what would
1: you guess? Tea te bag?
0: bag. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing there's a <laughs> at the end of that instead of a G.
1: Not even close. So if you flip this around, it says pronounced as Chevek.
0: J-Vec. So this is
1: my favorite irish whiskey Lo- absolutely love this and uh it's, it's one of those things where as soon as we started doing the celtic uh books uh i reached out to michelle and, and some other celtic,
0: michelle got uh, it by the way she's in the chat she got it she's there <laughs> yeah. all right
1: hey michelle how you doing <laughs> shout out to you um she she ended up saying i you got to do phonetics for the gaelic and i'm like yeah absolutely because i am just a master at butchering butchering gaelic
0: me too and everything really for that matter (laughs) uh socials social medias you are everywhere uh
1: are we you just added us to another i did just add you
0: and and that's because michelle added me so it's 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 threefold it's threefold you're on youtube at fate of the norns on twitch at fate of the norns at x twitter whatever a valkoskis and it should be fate, fate of the, the norns,
1: norns r, r at, at twitter
0: yeah 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 fate of the norns at on, on twitter or X. It's fate of the norns r your a valkaskis as well uh facebook backslash fate of the norns tiktok at fate of the norns uh instagram at fate of the norns and is everybody understanding a theme here a theme there's a theme? a theme uh at patreon.com backslash fate of the norns and patreon.com backslash Afkiaf RPG. I got them all right. And we might have a third
1: Patreon spinning up in
0: 2024. Oh, nice, awesome! And of course, Blue Sky. You're on Blue Sky now. So, so that's that's awesome. So, so shout out to Michelle Franklin. So,
1: I think you are our first follower on Blue Sky. So, thank you for being the first follower. Achievement unlocked.
0: Achievement unlocked. Uh, So,
1: anyone else that wants to follow us there, we're we're trying to figure out the platform. (laughs) <laughs> we yeah. just got on it i think yesterday or the day before
0: right when i was doing promotion I'm like are you on there i've got an invite code i can send you one so if you're on like, there what is that going get... <laughs> so um so yeah that's uh it's awesome thank you so much for being here those that are watching in any of the live streams stick around for the live stream q a in the chat i'm sure it's going to go uh go a little bit because uh andrew and i can chat for forever if we really wanted to so Absolutely. uh so stick around for that everybody listening to the podcast uh, thank you so much for listening to the show we appreciate you all go and check out all of Andrew's work go and check out Forgotten Realms Ed Greenwood stuff Michelle Franklin stuff all of the stuff that they're doing it's all freaking amazing and um, awesome so again Andrew thank you for being here tonight I appreciate it
1: thank you Nick for having me on uh, you're also the reason why I dug up my webcam and my microphone again after a year of hiatus so <laughs> I did a big desk cleanup all of it went into storage and because of this interview, it came back out onto the desk. So I think we will be firing up our uh, fireside chats and things like that in January again. So That'll be awesome. look forward to our, our YouTube and Twitch. And I think I'll probably hit you up, Nick, for uh, some, some tips on how to get the all of the streaming working as efficiently as possible on as many platforms
0: I will, as possible. I will do whatever I can to help you out. I'm, I'm always here, my man. I always appreciate here. it, man. Everybody listening, thank you so much for supporting us this year. We're going to be returning after the new year. Our next episode is actually going to be on January 15th. We're going to be joined by ter- paranormal researcher and author Amelia Cotter. We're going to talk all things about hauntings in the world, her research books and more. That's going to be live January 15th. The podcast will be available on the 16th. Also, one of the best board game designers out there, Corey Kaneska is going to be joining us, as well as Mike Mason from Chaos Games, you know, Call of Cthulhu. He's the lead designer over there. So many more people next year. We've got so many people in the amazing lineup. So please like, rate, review. All those ratings and reviews really do help us so much. So please do me a solid for the holidays. Go over there, drop us a five-star review. It helps us and it helps our guests. So thank you so much. From Andrew Velkoskis, I am Nick, and thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back. And join us again for Epic Realms.